And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. I will remember today because of what just took place. I was impressed with the three instruments, but I was impressed by a testimony of a young lady and how God has changed her wonderful life and her husband's too. And that is what we were talking about when David said what, what it's all about is that amazing grace, my chains are gone. Trent and Katie's chains were dropped because of God's amazing grace. Amen. Fabulous, fabulous. You know, Christmas means so much to so many different people. If you think about it, we've got the Santa Claus thing going on. Uh, Brent, you mentioned food and family, uh, getting around the Christmas tree on Christmas morning, opening gifts, the bell ringers at all the different stores, Black Friday, and which still remains a mystery to me. I asked myself this question. Actually, I shared with my family. I said, I wonder what it would take for me to get up at 3 or 4 o'clock in the morning Go stand in line at a store. How cheap? Now, you know me. I love deals. How cheap would it have to be? I know this. I haven't found it yet. I haven't found it yet. There's a guy on the news. Yeah, There's a guy on the news who said, Christmas is Black Friday for me. I'm going, whoa, dude, are you like way twisted up? Christmas means so much to different people. And, and then we Christians, to counter all that different misconception, we came up with our own slogan. We came up with... Jesus is the reason for the season. And then, and then what we did was we created an industry, a Christmas industry around that. You can buy bumper stickers. You can buy buttons. You can buy T-shirts. You can buy coffee cups with that on there. And we kind of create a mini industry around Jesus is the reason for the season. That's a great saying. But what I want you to understand in the next coming five weeks is that it's so much bigger than that. You see, the story of Christmas, Christmas, his story. Stretches from Revelation, from Genesis to Revelation. It stretches from eternity past to eternity future. Christmas truly is his story. And if you're looking for the Christmas story in a nutshell, of course, it would be John 3.16. Kind of say it along with me from the New King James Version. One pretty close to the King James, which a lot of us know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes him should not perish but have everlasting life. So today we want to tackle the subject. I put it on the marquee. Why do we have Christmas? And we've entitled the sermon today, A Christmas Promise. Now to really get the picture of why there's a Christmas, we've got to go back to the beginning. And I want you to understand something. When in the beginning there was nothing and God created the heavens and the earth and light and the seas and the land and all the animals, all of that. And God also created a guy named Adam. And he created him out of the dust. So Adam was kind of walking around, you know, by himself. And, you know, God said, you know, this isn't good. And so God took a rib out of Adam and created a woman called Eve. And here was this perfect couple with the perfect marriage in a perfect world with a perfect relationship with God. It was awesome. And God only gave him one rule. God simply said this. Here's the deal. There's one tree in the garden. It's a tree of knowledge of good and evil. Of that tree, you must not eat. Because when you eat that, of that tree, you will surely die. One rule. And that set us up in this perfect environment for why we needed to have Christmas. If you take your Bibles, please, and turn to Genesis chapter 3. With that set up, Adam and Eve lived in a perfect world, in perfect relationship, with a perfect marriage, all walking with God in this great, wonderful world God created for them. And the Bible says in Genesis 3... And verse number 1. Now the serpent was more cunning of all the wild beasts that the Lord God 
had made. The serpent was the most cunning, most subtle, the most deceptive of all the animals that Lord God had made. So here's the deal. You need to know that. We, we Americans, we don't get it. See, in Africa, we prayed for a guy who was demon-possessed. Somehow we got to figure in our head, first off, if Satan really exists, and he does, if there's a God, there is a Satan, we somehow got to figure in our head that somehow God, or excuse me, that Satan stopped possessing people a long time ago. Why would he? Why would he? And Satan's this incredibly subtle person. And he, his mission was to destroy the perfection that God had created. So you need to know that Satan is out to destroy you. He's out to destroy your marriage. He's out to destroy your home. He's out to destroy your world. But that's not why we have Christmas. We go on a little bit further. The serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say? The first thing that Satan does to begin casting, casting a shadow on God is for Eve to begin doubting God. Did God really say this? And you know what? That was true then and it's true now. See, because we underestimate Satan, underestimate Satan and how cunning he is, it's very easy for him to start whispering in our ear. We see it so often. Now. We see it with young people who are trying to figure out who God is in this society we're living in. And, they, and Satan's whispering, is there really a God? Did, did God really say this? That was true then and it's true now. And you need to know that. But that's not why we have Christmas. Did, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say that? And then Eve answers a really cool answer. Here's what she says in verse number 2. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. Great answer, except for a couple of things. See, in Genesis 2, God had, had really stressed something. He said, in a day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And she softens that punishment and says, lest you die. But more importantly, she does something. Do you see it? She adds to the Word of God. She misrepresents the Word of God. God said nothing about touching. And I thought, well, maybe it's implied somewhere. So I did my little study, my commentaries. No, Eve misrepresented the Word of God. God said nothing about touching, but just to make sure, she added her own rules. That was true then, and it's true now. Churches, no matter what the denomination are, people, no matter who they are, we simply add to God's Word and add to God's Word and add to God's Word and add to God's Word. And before long, there's more of our rules than there is God's rules. You need to know that. But that's not why... We have Christmas. Then Satan gets really bold because he's already cast the doubt. He's got the woman misrepresenting the word of God. And then here he comes with it. No, verse 4. You will not die. Here he really does. God's a liar. 
God is a liar. And when you're hurting and when you're in a stressed out situation and when your world is crumbling and things are falling apart, you listen carefully and you will hear the voice of the deceiver saying, God is a liar. God doesn't love you. God doesn't care about you. And he blatantly says, God is a liar. He did that then and he does that now. And you need to know that. But that's not why we have Christmas. I like, I like the next one really well. You will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. God is deceiving you. Isn't this cool? The deceiver accuses God of being the deceiver. God's withholding from you. The reason he doesn't want you to eat of that is because it's something better than you have now. Does that sound familiar? Does God, or excuse me, does Satan not do that today? Does God, does Satan not come along and say, God's way is less than my way? My way is more pleasurable. My way is more fun. My way is more profitable. Yes, he does. You see, it was true then, and it's true today. But that's not why we have Christmas. And then we see the woman. And it could have been the man, but it's the woman. Verse 6, Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it's delightful to look at, and it's desirable for obtaining wisdom. She rationalized. She listened to Satan, who cast doubt on God, and then she misrepresents God's word. And Satan comes along and says, God's lying to you. In fact, not only is God lying to you, God is, is withholding from you. And that set in motion the process of rationalization. We do it all the time. You, some of you are sitting here today, and you have blatant sin in your life, and you are rationalizing it away. You're rationalizing it away. It was true then, and Brent is true now. But that's not why we have Christmas. Why we have Christmas, why we need Christmas, comes next. Look what the Bible says. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and that it was desirable for obtaining wisdom, so she took some of its fruit and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate that. The reason we needed Christmas was because of the one act of a man and a woman. Do you understand? It wasn't about eating an apple. It probably wasn't an apple anyway. It wasn't about them eating a piece of fruit off a tree. It's about them not believing God. It's about them not trusting God. It's about rebellion. It's about them having a choice to make, and they chose to listen to Satan rather than listening to God. And at that moment of time, everything changed. Would you say everything changed? Let me tell you what, what changed. The world as they knew it, Edith, at that moment, changed. You all, you listen, do you know all the things you hate in this world? Do you know the cancers, the death, murder, child molestation, adultery, divorce, all those things? The world changed at that moment in time. 
When sin came into the world, perfection was lost. And all that we despise and hate, and watch this, what we often blame God for came into the world at that moment. In the rebellious spirit of Eve, saying yes to sin and no to God, perfection was lost. Remember that perfect marriage I talked about? Lost. You'll see that later on in the scripture. But most importantly, most importantly, they died spiritually. The perfect fellowship that they had with God was now gone. And there was a great gulf established. And on this side was God. And on this side was Adam and Eve. And there was no way to bridge and build back that broken fellowship, that broken relationship. You see, the scripture is right. No, Adam and Eve did not fall over physically dead at that moment. But the moment they rebelled against God, their bodies began to die. Their world began to die. But spiritually, instantaneously, they died. Dwayne, what's that got to do with me? <laughs> they lived a long... If, if, if they lived, they lived a really long time ago. Have you ever heard of genetics? You know, I keep telling you that I got this... Well, it used to be a hairline. And actually, now the hairline is gone. But at one time, I had a hairline, and it followed my father's hairline. He kept his tough. I lost mine. The nose, the the long nose is my dad. The ears are my dad. And it's genetics. And see, there was spiritual genetics. Let me read to you from God's Word. In Romans chapter 5 and verse number 12. Therefore, just as through one man, Adam and Eve, sin entered the world, and death dying through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all has sinned. When they broke fellowship with God, genetically that was passed along. Spiritually, genetically, that was passed along. And every single person born since then was born spiritually dead. And that's why we needed Christmas. It's amazing because in this chapter, in these first seven, we see the birth of something else. We see the lost a perfect fellowship with God, perfection in life, and we see the birth of... Now, now listen carefully what I'm fixing to say, because some of you are going to go, I can't believe our pastor said that. We saw the death of perfection and the birth of the scourge of men and women, and that's religion. See, religion in and of itself is a scourge. It's a curse. Look, look at verse 7. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. They were ashamed. So they sewed fig leaves. Say, say so they sewed. They sewed fig leaves. What for? To cover their shame. The fig leaves were their attempt to cover their shame and their sin. You know what religion is? Religion is man's attempt to reach God. Whether it's Islam or Hindu 
or this twisted form of Western Christianity we sometimes have. It's simply, man, it's just trying. Man reaches try God. If, I, if the scales tip in the right way, if I go to church enough, if I get baptized, if I say a prayer, it's our attempt to reach God. And let me just tell you something. There's one way to reach God, and it never originates here. It's God reaching down, not us reaching up. So why Christmas? Because a long time ago, the first man and woman rebelled against God, and sin came in this world. And that leads us from the Christmas the why to Christmas the woe. Look what it says. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden at the time leaving breeze. Now, please get a picture of this. Before their fall, before their rebellion, they lived in perfect fellowship in this perfect place, and God would come down and walk in the cool of the evening. Have you ever had, have your dad, dad, have you ever come home from work and heard these words from your children? Hey, dad's home! And they run and they grab you around the leg. And they're so glad to see you. That's how it was. Before the fall, when, when Adam and Eve would hear God walking in the cool of the, of the breeze of the evening, they'd say, Dad's home. And they would come and they had the sweet fellowship of the Father. That was before sin. Now, now look what happens. They heard the Lord God walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze. And they did what? They hid themselves. Say, hid themselves. Now, we learned just a few moments. They hid themselves because they were afraid. The reason we need Christmas is because of sin. And what sin did was it took fellowship with God and replaced it with fear. These people who once could walk up openly and talk to God in the garden, they're now hiding from him. And so God says something. So the Lord God, verse 9, called out to the man and said to him, Where are you? Now, time out. Did God know where they were? Yeah, he's God. Hello. In fact, Lord God, that word God is the same word you used last week. Supreme God. Lord is, is Yahweh, the common name for the Jewish people. We have eternal supreme God. Yeah, he knew. Well, why did he say, where are you? He was giving Adam the chance to come clean. He was giving Adam the chance to choose the right thing and say, God, here I am and I've sinned against you. But that doesn't happen. In verse 10, the Bible says, and he said, Adam said, I heard you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked. I was afraid because I was ashamed. I was afraid because where there used to be fellowship, there was now fear. And then God said these words. So then he asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I command you not to eat from? And the man said, yes, I did. And it's all my fault. Leave Eve Eve out of this. She had nothing to do with it, okay? I'm the leader, and it's all my fault. Okay, that's what we wish it said. No. Then the man replied, remember the perfect marriage is gone. Then the the man replied, it's the woman's fault. We've been saying it ever since. 
Come on, fess up. We've been saying it ever since. It's a woman's fault. You see, the woman that you gave me, God, and by the way, it's your fault too. Might as well blame God too if you're going to blame your wife. The woman you gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I did eat it. It's not my fault, God. It's your fault and her fault. So God turns to the woman. What is it you have done? And the woman said, well, it wasn't me. It was the serpent's fault. And the serpent's other one, he's just smiling. Blame me if you want. And that's the woe. See, so many of you today, so many of you have this misconstrued idea of God. Some of you have never met God, never come in a relationship with God, have no clue about God. And the message I want to give you today is probably the message you've got is so distorted in this world. I want to tell you something. That John 3.16 verse is so true. God did love the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son. And that if you will believe in Him, you will not perish. But you'll have everlasting life. He's a just God. He's a righteous judge. judge, But He is a God of love and hope. He offers that today. It's so cool because there are several options that God had. After the sin and after this... The, the man saying it's the woman's fault. The woman saying, no, no, it's the serpent's fault. The serpent's sitting there. serpent's just sitting there smiling. You know, God could have instantly finished what sin started. He was the creator. He could eventually said, clapped his hand, said, dead. And Adam and Eve could have dropped to the ground, dead, and disappeared back into dust. And he'd been just in doing that. Just finished what sin had started. Maybe start over. Try a new, an, an Adam 2 and an Eve 2 and see what they did with it. He didn't do that. He could have walked away. He could have threw his hands up in disgust and said, I never should have created you. He could have walked away and said, deal with your sin. Deal with the prospects of eternal hell. Deal with the prospects of bearing children in pain by yourself. Deal with all the pain of life, the suffering that's going to come now through the world. I am leaving you behind. He could have walked away. But I'm here to tell you something. He did not. When God had every right and every authority to walk away, He did not. You know what He did instead? He announced Christmas. He announced Christmas. See, from the book of Genesis, what I'm about to read to you is the first mention of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's what it looked like. The first thing is, he declares his dominance over the serpent, over Satan. Look what he says. Then the Lord God, the eternal supreme God. Say eternal supreme God. Supreme God. The eternal supreme God said to the serpent, Satan, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock and more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. Apparently, from what I can tell, before the fall, the serpent had some sort of legs and walked. 
And now God's word says you are cursed and you lose your legs and you crawl in your belly and you eat dust. Remember saying, hey, eat my dust. Satan has been eating God's dust ever since then. Come on now, amen? Eat my dust. See, the reason he could say that to the second most powerful creature in the universe was because he was the most powerful creature in the universe. See, when you compare God and Satan, they're not even on the same ball field. Because God is the creator, and Satan was no more than a created being. He declared his dominance. He said, Satan, eat my dust. Then, he declared war. Look what it says. Verse 15. I will put hostility between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. Satan, I declare war on you. You took what was perfect and destroyed it and hurt it and tainted it and broke us apart. I now declare war on you. And every, listen, folks, listen, American church, get this in your mind. Ever since then, there is a war going on that you may not be able to see, but you sense and know in your heart it is real. Take a look at the evil in this world. When men fly planes into tall buildings... Where men rape babies. Where people walk in with guns and shoot 17, 20, and 30 people they do not know. When absolute corruption, you know what that is? That's the depravity of mankind. We are a depraved people have nothing to bring to the bargaining table with God. We are depraved people. There's none good, no, not one. None righteous, no, not one. And then we got God. God is all that's good. All that's powerful. God is love. And these two forces have been at war. Righteousness and unrighteousness. The law and lawlessness. Battling and fighting. And God declared war. But then he did something extraordinary. He gave us the outcome of the war. Now that's cool. I mean, you you enter a war with the expectation of winning. God didn't say, I expect to win. He said, game over. I've won. It's just not happened yet. Come on, folks. Come on now. Yeah, come on. It's all right. Yeah. Game over. I've already won. And here's what it looks like. Verse number 15, the second part. He, capital H, not because it's the start of a sentence, but because of who it represents. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Here's how it plays out, Satan. Millennia from now, there's going to be a baby boy born. He's going to be like no other baby born in the world. For he will have no earthly father and will be born of a virgin. And they will call him the Son of Man and God's Son. And he will be God in the flesh. He will be Emmanuel. And he will live a perfect and sinless life until he's 33 years old. At which time, I will allow your puppets to take control. And in accordance with my plan and his plan, he will be nailed to a cross. And there he will bleed and die because my word says, without the shame of blood, there can be no remission of sin. And that the wages of sin is death. And my son, millennia from now, he will die on a cross at your hand and your puppet's hand. But he, you do not take his life from him. He lays his life down. 
And he will die. And they will put him in a grave. But you can only bruise his heel. Because on the third day, then I said on the third day, up from the grave, he rose. <laughs> up from the grave, he rose. You may bruise him. He may shed his blood for people to have forgiveness of sins, but you can't keep him in the grave because he's God. He's God. He's not just a good preacher. He's not a good teacher. He's not a prophet. He's God. And you can't keep a good man down. You can't keep a good man down. This is the outcome. And he's going to bruise your head. And what that means, Satan, if you've got a copy of the Bible, turn to the book of Revelation toward the back there. And we're going to bind you. And we're going to cast you into lake of fire forever and ever and ever. And Satan, there'll be no escape. And there'll be no end. Because he's God. And he's going to bruise your head. He's going to bind you forever. And that's what Christmas is all about. He declared his dominance. He declared war. And standing over here are two people. And they're wondering what the world's going on. Hearing God talk to this animal, knowing that it represents Satan because they were there when it happened. And hearing this promise, this Christmas promise, they're standing there. And I'm sure they're, they're afraid and they're shaken to their core. What does this mean for us? And then God declares his love. Look at it. It's beautiful. Verse 21. If you've got your Bible, skip down a few verses. Verse 21. The Lord God made clothing out of what? Say skins. Say skins again. You can say it loud enough. Skins. That's, see, their attempt was to sow fig leaves. God didn't do that. God makes them a clothing out of skins for Adam and his wife. And he clothed them. What's the significance of that? Where do those skins come from? From the animal. And again, I checked my source. Didn't want to make the word of God say something that's not. No, no, this is right. An animal had to die. And it is a beautiful portrait one day of the shedding of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. That animal represents, the sacrifice that animal, the shed blood represents one day. When the Lamb of God would shed His blood for the sins of mankind. 1 John in chapter 4 verse number 10 says this. In this is love. Not that we loved God. But that He loved us. And sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. The propitiation. What a big word, Dwayne. What does that mean? It means to atone. It means atonement. It's the New Testament word for atonement. Well, Dwayne, what does that mean? To cover. The Lord God made clothing out of skins for Adam and Eve, and he clothed them. He covered their sin. 
And when Jesus died on the cross, he made it possible for our sins to be blotted out. One picture is, is when Paul said blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, it means to take something, write it on a piece of paper, all our charges, all our sins, and then to dump ink on it so it's totally obliterated. As our sister Katie sang, where God's word proclaims as far as the east is from the west, so has he cast our sins. When he shed that blood in Genesis, he told Adam and Eve, there's coming a day. This, this doesn't do it. But there's coming a day when my son will die. And through him, we can have forgiveness of sins. Now, I believe by faith, Adam and Eve received those skins. Looking forward to the day when the lamb would die. And folks, that's what Christmas is all about. It's so much bigger than a baby in a manger. It's so much bigger than a catchy slogan that says Jesus is the reason for the season. It's Christmas, His story. From eternity past to eternity future. From Genesis to Revelation. I had a friend named Rich Lawson. Rich had this really unusual habit. He waited till Christmas Eve. He would work till 9 or 10, 11 o'clock in the morning as a stockbroker. And then he would drive an hour, Brent, to Kansas City to do his Christmas shopping. Now, what's that, about four hours shopping time probably? The dude was nuts. I mean, he, it was his gig. I don't know why he did that, but he did it every year. I want you to know something. When God planned Christmas, it wasn't an afterthought. When God planned Christmas, it wasn't, oh, gee, this plan went bad. I mean, I, I firmly believe, in fact, the Bible talks about before the foundation of the world, that we were chosen. I mean, before he even created the world, Christmas was in the plans. And that's incredible. That knowing that Adam and Eve were going to sin, that God made a way, that God made a way for their forgiveness. And you know what? He made a way for your forgiveness. It's not your religion. It's not going to church. It's not being a Baptist. It's not writing a check. It's, it's admitting that we're sinners, that we've sinned against holy God. It's believing that Jesus Christ really was the Son of God and that he was 100% God and 100% man and that he died, was buried and resurrected the third day. And that's confessing, confessing with our mouth that we believe Jesus Christ is Lord, followed by a commitment to him. No, Jesus is not a fire escape. Jesus does not say a prayer and do what you want to do. If that's your form of what you guys Christianity, you may find yourself in a really hot place one day. Because it's more than a prayer. It's a commitment to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We close our service with the thing we call the invitation time. And throughout the next five weeks, this is going to be the emphasis you hear over and over again. My brother Brent will be standing down front. He will give you the opportunity to do something really bold. I'm going to have everyone bow their heads in a few moments. And they're going to keep their eyes closed. And I want you to, if you've never met Jesus Christ as Savior, if you've never made that commitment to Him, if you've got more questions than I was able to answer in our time together, I simply want you to come down and say, Hey, Brent, I want to know this man. I want to know this Jesus. I want to know the God who could say, Game over before the game hardly even started. 
And we'll take the word of God and show you what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. How you can have the hope of eternal life. And the really cool part is, there really is no giant scales. There really is not. It really doesn't involve our works at all. In fact, the Bible says, not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. So would you bow your heads right there? I'd like to pray for you this morning. I've already told you, I mean, I don't see any eyeballs. If I see any eyeballs, y'all close them. But if you're here today and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, or maybe you're here today and you prayed that prayer when you were six and you realized, you know what? There's been no change in my life. I'm the same person. What I did before I was saved is something I do after I was saved. I'm just telling you there's an indicator there's something wrong. And maybe my prayer for you today could be, God, show me where I am spiritually. I'd sure like to pray for you today. If, you, if you're here today and you've never met Jesus, or maybe you're saying, you know what, something's wrong. Well, would you ask God to speak to my heart? I'd be glad to do that. I'm asking you, with no one looking, no one looking, just slip your hand up and say, Dwayne, would you just pray for me this morning? Yes, God bless you. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you. Hands over here. Thank you so much. God bless you. Anyone else? Let's pray right now. Father, I'm amazed this morning at how you planned Christmas. The extent you went when you could have walked away and you didn't. How incredible is that? And Father, you have seen the hands of my friends today. Father, some of them are admitting they don't know you and some are saying, I just got doubts today. And Lord, I know that you are drawing people to yourself. And I'm certain that you've not called us to have a salvation we doubt. So Father, in Jesus' name, I'm going to pray for them. Father, one, if they need to come, that today they have the courage to step out and take Brent by the hand and say, I want to know this Jesus. Or Father, even have the courage to just come to the altar and pray so we can pray with them. And Father, try to get them some answers from your word. So God, we ask in Jesus' name that you draw men and women to yourself. Thank you, Lord.